Well, good morning and welcome to church. David, can you give me macro number four? It is great to be here with you guys. And uh, it's interesting because last week I was complaining about, you know, this area overreacting to weather. We totally overreacted to weather, you guys. Three e-learning days. E-learning stands for e-not learning in my household. I'll tell you that right now, okay? E-learning stands for consequences and tears. That's really what it stands for. But I will tell you this. My kids were so bored of school. They're like, Dad, can we just clean the house again? So they did. Our house is like squeaky clean. You know, laundry's done. Floors are mopped. I'm like, honey, we got to have more kids. This is fantastic. I love this. They just, they clean. But uh, that, was, that was some real stuff. Welcome. I want to say welcome to our Hebron campus. I got to take a moment to brag on our Hebron campus. They are slaying it. They used to be one-fifth the size of our Wheatfield campus. They are now 50%. They're running at 50%. That is more than doubling. We're proud of you guys. You're slaying it. Love you guys. You're doing awesome. And uh, to Wheatfield, DeMont Wheatfield, we got to get in gear. Come on, guys, our kids are clapping us. Let's show them what it means to do church, all right? We're gonna show you guys what's up, Hebron. But anyway, welcome online, welcome, Jasper County Jail Campus, hello. Last week, we started our brand new teaching series called Binging the Bible. And uh, we're talking about reading more than just like the verse on the side of our coffee cup or the verse of the day from our Bible app. And I gave you the overarching story of the Bible and uh, knowing the background story of the Bible is really helpful. I said, if you just watch the end of the movie without seeing the beginning or the middle, it's going to be a little bit complicated. Uh, so I wanted to give you the overarching story. And the four overarching parts of the Bible are the background, the hope, the Jesus, and the after Jesus. And the big story is how Jesus is the cure for the infection of sin, if you remember. And then we ended last week with this big challenge that I hope you took me up on because it's going to make this week a lot better for you. But I challenge you to read the book of 1 John and ask yourself this question, God, what does this mean for me today as you read? And I said, you know, some of you might even be able to read it five times. I read 1 John five times this week, and uh, it was a big blessing. Because the whole goal of this series is to learn to binge on God's Word, to read significant portions of God's Word. And uh, before we get into it, I want to ask you a question. What percent of the time do you go into a movie totally blind, knowing nothing about it. Almost never for me. Like, if we're going to watch a movie, you know, you're going to read a review, you're going to watch a trailer, you're going to have a friend tell you a little bit about the movie. And what is the purpose of these things? Number one, the trailers are to make you want to watch the rest of the movie, but they also kind of help set the scene in your mind. Like, if you went blind into the movie Trolls, you would be like, what kind of drug are we on right now? This is a crazy movie. You know what I mean? But when you know a little bit about it, uh, this, uh, like two weeks ago, um, I watched a part of this movie called Encanto because um, some friends started it for my kids. And my wife was like, please, will you watch it with me? And I was like, okay, fine. Um, we'll check it out. And uh, I don't know. We don't talk about Bruno. But I had no real idea what was happening. I was like, this is weird. I, you know, I went in blind. It made no sense to me. So I opened up my phone and I read the Wikipedia plot synopsis and then immediately started shop, shopping for boats and not watching because I am that guy. Kristen was like, please. I was like, no, can't do it. But here's my point. If you're watching something or reading something, you should at least read a little bit about it before you get into it. Before you read a book of the Bible, I think it's important to do a little bit of research. Obviously, the overarching story of the Bible is helpful, but I want to give you one more tool that I use, and it's called the Bible Project by Tim Mackey. And uh, I like the Bible Project. It's a YouTube channel that makes a video summary that's real short and succinct of each book of the Bible. So what you do to find it is you just Google the Bible Project space any book of the Bible that you want. So in this case, 1 John, and you can see a little video summary of it. I use it all the time. It just gives me a little background because here's the truth. The churches that the letter of 1 John was written to, they already knew their story because they lived it. 
And so there's a lot of presumptions that John makes that they know that we don't. So it's helpful to kind of get that little summary. And I do this for almost every sermon I preach, for many of the book studies I do. I want to encourage you to have that tool. But today, I want to show you how to binge the Bible by talking about 1 John. And this is, again, it's a teaching message as I share with you how I studied 1 John this week because I want to show you how to binge the Bible um, by using 1 John as an archetype. And hopefully, you'll be able to do this with many different books by the end of this message. But uh, we'll start with a story about why 1 John is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Shortly after I became a Christian, I found a group of friends um, from my youth group who were genuinely great kids. There was like 30 high schoolers, and almost all of them were homeschooled. And you would think that that means they were super strange and weird. They were actually like the coolest, most winsome, attractive people I'd known up to that point. And what they would do, this is crazy, they would go to school for like an hour in the morning, and they'd get all their schoolwork done, and they would spend the rest of the day snowboarding, ice fishing, snowmobiling, hunting, whatever, the rest of the day. That was it. And it was crazy to me that they could learn as much as I learned in public school, but they could do it in an hour. And that's just the benefit of not having standardized tests and whatever else, right? But uh, they love God. They made great choices. And today, all of them are completely uneducated and failing. No, just kidding. They're doing great. Many of them own businesses. They're, they're doing well. But uh, among this group, there was a particularly pretty set of sisters. They were very attractive, and uh, they were godly. And, and one night, I went to pick one of them up for a date, dinner and a movie. And uh, her mom comes down the stairs with something behind her back. And I was like, please don't be a gun. But uh, anyway, she pulls this thing out from behind her back. And it was a book written by this guy named Joshua Harris called How I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And I was like, oh, okay. And she's like, have you ever read this? And I was like, um, no. You know, you see, Mrs. Kaler, I'm not actually trying to kiss dating goodbye. I'm actually trying to kiss dating hello with your daughter tonight. You know what I mean? And um, just kidding. I didn't actually say that because then she would have gotten the gun. But uh, regardless, this book was about a new paradigm of Christian courtship, chaperoned dating and whatever. And anyway, um, nothing would ever come between me and her daughter, but the book was written by this sensational young conservative man named Joshua Harris. And he would really start a whole movement of conservative Christian dating. It was a whole paradigm and everybody loved him. He would go on to pastor this big mega church and uh, his brothers, Brett and Alex Harris, would also become very famous. I actually did a book study in our youth group at this church um, on one of the books that they wrote. But fast forward 20 years, and the author of this book, Joshua Harris, who began the whole movement on Christian dating practices, would leave his church, deconvert from Christianity, and then get divorced from his wife, which is crazy. And some of my closest friends who lived by this book, I had several friends who would, you know, save themselves for marriage. They wouldn't kiss until they were married, whatever. They also deconverted. One of those sisters that I was trying to date would deconvert as well. Now, that's an embarrassing sentence, and you probably missed it, but I said one of those sisters that I was trying to date. That's not good. Never try to date two sisters. I didn't try to do it at the same time, but I was spectacularly unsuccessful regardless. Not recommended. Not a good idea. Not wise, okay? But to watch these heroes of my faith walk away from their faith, devastating. It was hard. And that's what First John is about. First John answers the question, what do you do when people deconvert from Christianity? How do you know if you're a Christian? How do you know if someone is a Christian? Why do people deconvert? Our church has always believed that once saved, you, you can't lose your salvation, but if somebody walks away, they were never really saved in the first place. Regardless of your theology behind it, since the beginning of the church, people who have seemed very ardent in their faith have strayed away. And 1 John is this book that, that addresses that. What do you do when somebody walks away from their faith? And uh, 1 John, the churches he's writing to, they've experienced this big season of growth followed by some people walking away. John is, if you don't know, Jesus' best friend. 
He's the disciple that Jesus is closest to. He was the only disciple that actually stuck with Jesus as Jesus was being crucified. And Jesus loved John so much as he's dying, he looks at John, he says, hey, I want you to take care of my mom. So that's a big deal. It's a big thing to entrust somebody to. And he reminds us of his status right at the start of 1 John. He says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. And John is nuts about this. He wants everybody to know that Jesus is God. Jesus existed before the earth was created. He existed from the beginning. And then he says, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our eyes. We touched him with our hands. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard. So what does John want you to know? Hey, uh, guys, I mean, not to, not to brag here, okay? I was humbled, it's a humble brag, to see Jesus. Like, I'm the man, right? He's tweeting about it. He's talking about it all the time. Why is he doing this? Well, he's establishing his credibility. Guys, like, I'm actually, like, kind of the man because I was there. He wants us to know that. Um, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may share in our joy. In other words, I'm the man. And then he starts talking about the main issue in this book, which is deconversion. And he uses this communication method that most Americans hate called amplification. It's something that, that we don't really do in America. Americans are super direct. We just go straight to the point. Most other cultures are actually not like that. They use this process called amplification where we spiral around the issue, revealing a little bit more and more. My mom is from Japan, and she actually communicates this way a lot, where she'll spiral around the issue. She's not as direct as Americans are. John uses amplification surrounding the topic of deconversion. And if you read the book, he actually makes four separate loops around this topic, revealing slightly different things each time. And if you read it this week like I challenged you to, you're probably like, why is this dude repeating himself? Didn't he just say that? Like, what is he doing? He's not repeating himself. He's emphasizing four slightly different points around the issue to answer the question, why do people deconvert? Now, his first three laps, he's making three different points about three different kinds of deconverters. And then the fourth time around, he's actually just doing a really fast review. And what I want to do in this message is go over the three different kinds of deconverters that he talks about. And the first kind of person that will deconvert or isn't really a Christian is what's called a talker. And these are people who say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, absolutely. And they show up at church sometimes, often or rarely. And they say all the right things, you know, but if it's boating season or it's hunting season or it's football season or whatever, they're gone. They have a Jesus fish on the side of their truck, you know, but they're not necessarily that honest. And about them, John says in verse five, this is the message we've heard from Jesus and now declare to you, okay? Want you to know again, like I'm a big deal, I saw Jesus. But then he gets into the meat and potatoes. He says, God is light. And there is no darkness in him at all. So we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but we go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. So if you meet someone who's like, yeah, I'm a Christian, absolutely. But they do all kinds of non-Christian-y things all the time without caring or repenting or making an effort to change. John is saying they're not Christians. They can say it. They can talk all they want. But if they're not walking in the light, they're not Christians. Then he goes on, he says, but if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, I love this part. Notice he says, to be a Christian, he doesn't say, you know, you have to never sin again. That's not it. He says, in order to be a Christian, you have to walk in the light. And that begs the question, all of us should be asking, well, what, what does it mean to walk in the light? Like, that's super important. What is this? Like, John, how do we walk in the light? This walking in the light thing is a huge deal for all of the books in the Bible that John writes, and he, he writes several of them. And uh, it's a concept that's used throughout his writing. It's amazing how rarely we actually experience darkness. Most young people today have never actually experienced pitch blackness. 
At night, we have so many power lights in our rooms, you know, like LED lights, digital clocks, night lights, phones, watches, whatever. And the glow of so many things, we never actually experience darkness. So the power of this illustration is sort of diluted for us. I remember the first time I experienced true darkness. It wasn't until I was 12 years old. I was in a cave with my parents at this national park, and you know, we're in the, deep in the cave, and the park ranger says, I'm gonna turn off the lights just for a second. So he turns off the light, and I mean, it was so dark a Dementor would have been afraid. Like I'm telling you, like I could not see my hand in front of my face, like pitch black, close my eyes, open my eyes, no difference, completely immersive, enveloping, true darkness. And I immediately thought, anyone could do anything right now. Somebody could murder me and no one would know. Like they could totally get away with it. Like you can't, I mean, it was so pitch black. And John is saying ungodly people love darkness because they can get away with stuff. It's what they love. When I do premarital counseling, which I love doing, and if you're thinking about getting married, um, do premarital counseling. It's not too early. Like, if you're seriously dating someone, please consider premarital counseling. It's great, you know? The purpose of premarital counseling is, you know, to make your relationship better for marriage, but also, you know, maybe to consider calling it off. And if you are married and you didn't do it, please consider coming to premarital counseling. I'd love to help you with that, not so you can call it off, but so you can make your marriage better. But anyway, um, I tell couples all the time, my wife and I walk in the light in our marriage. That's our big goal. And what that means is we share everything. We shine light on everything. We share locations. We share passwords. We share social media accounts, email accounts. She uses and looks through my phone whenever. If you get a text message from me, there's a good chance that my wife wrote it and vice versa. You know, we even share toothbrushes, but that's a different story and also very gross. But uh, we're just really poor for a time and we can only afford one toothbrush. We were that poor. I know that's crazy. But anyway, I check where she is all the time because I'm a worrier and I'm just like, where is she? You know, I'm worried about her. Is she in a fiery car wreck? No, she's moving. Thank God for um, Find My on Apple. But anyway, uh, it doesn't bother me at all that she knows everything about me. You know why? Because I want nothing to hide. I want to be in the light in our relationship. Guess what? I'm not perfect either. Like she'll check my text messages sometimes and be like, John, did you actually send this? What's wrong with you? Use an emoji. Are you just seriously, that sounds so mean. Or she'll be like, what were you doing on that website? What were you doing at this place, right? It doesn't mean I'm perfect. It means I'm walking in the light so that she can call me out and so that God's grace and her grace can shine in my life. Fake Christians love darkness. They'll say all the right things. But in their lives, they'll walk in darkness. Two phones, you know, an Instagram and a Finstagram account, right? Your fake Insta. You're You're one person at work, you're another person at church, you're one person in this place, you're another person with that kind of family. He says, that's fake Christians, that's the talkers. Real Christians walk in the light. And they're not afraid to have their deeds exposed, not because they're perfect, but because they live in the light of God's grace. I love 1 John 1, 8, he says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. We're not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. That's the grace of God. There's no fear in being who we really are. We want to have a growth mindset. We want to be, this is why we say no one's perfect and everyone's welcome. We mean it. It's part of the Christian life. He says, if we claim we've not sinned, we're calling God a liar and we're showing that his word has no place in our hearts. John says, real Christians, we walk in the light. Fake Christians, oh, we love the darkness. Being a Christian doesn't mean you never sin again. It means you walk in the light. We strive to be better. And when you fail, you're honest about it. That's why physical attendance to church, I think, is such a big deal. We're living in relationship with people. And I think so many of us, we just slip in the back, we leave. But being in a life group, being in relationship with a Christian community, volunteering, serving, all that stuff makes it so that we're walking in the light. We have the opportunity to be open with people and keep growing. Don't just be a talker, right? Don't just be a talker. That's the first kind of fake Christian. The second kind of uh, deconverter that Paul talks about is a group called defectors. 
This is the person who has a radical transformation. This is like Joshua Harris, the author of that book, right? A clear conversion story, you know, baptize, make profession, and they're at every Bible study. They're serving on every team. They love it. They volunteer six months, six years, whatever later, they're gone. Or they're only marginally involved because Paul, or John says they start to see their old life and they yearn for the things of this world. You know, it's nice to hold on to a little bit of unforgiveness. It's nice to hold on to a little bit of fence. It's, it's nice to look at, you know, partying or ungodly living or, you know, whatever that is, money, and just say, you know, that's what I want to do. And about these people, John says, um, do not love this world or the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. His words, not mine. It's a big deal. He says, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see. Have you noticed that? It's always craving. I mean, you could go out partying one night, you know, you go to Holly's, you have the best night of your life, you just hit a million bullseyes on the darts board and whatever else, and you're slaying it, you're killing it, and you get home that night, and you're never fulfilled. I mean, you wake up the next morning, and there's just a craving for more. There's never satisfaction. It's never enough, right? I mean, you sleep with so many people, and you whatever, and you wake up. might be fun, but the next morning, you're just empty. John says there's always a craving in this world, right? Craving for pride in our achievements. We always want more. Our possessions, we always want more. It's never like, oh man, you know what? I got a big enough pole barn full of enough toys. Like, I'm good. No. He says there's always going to be a craving for more. He says these are not from the Father, but from this world. And this world is fading away. Isn't that true? I mean, what doesn't fade in this world? John says this is such a serious. I mean, there's so many people who defect to the things of this world, and it never satisfies, and he's so right. He goes along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. He says, look, the things we do for Jesus, they live in eternity forever, and they're satisfying. And that's one of the defining marks I see in true Christians, man. There is a contentment. There is a satisfaction in their life. It's like, enough in Jesus. I have enough. I have enough. I watched a documentary that a friend sent to me this week about the life of Justin Bieber. She's a true believer for sure. Middle-aged, but loves Justin Bieber. And uh, here's this kid raised in a Christian home who defected for a time. And watching this documentary was crazy. You know, I mean, this dude, Justin, gets famous at 13. By the time he's 16, he had women, like, throwing themselves at him. He's on every talk show. He had millions of dollars. And at the height of his career... He could have met with anyone at any time. If he wanted to meet with the president of the United States of America, Justin Bieber was so famous, he could have gotten an audience with the president. I mean, just a big deal. And he had, you know, drug-filled private jets full of money and, and, and girls and drugs and whatever he wanted. And he tours the world partying like many of us would at that age. And in this documentary, he just refers to that as the worst time of his life. He talks about how the debauchery damaged his mind, his body, his soul. Every part of his life was damaged by this. And you think, you know, part of our flesh, it's like, oh, that'd be really cool. He's like, it was terrible. To this day, he's still dealing with the pain and the scars from it. There was no satisfaction, just an empty craving. Now, recently, within the last few years, Justin Bieber has begun to come back to God. And in this documentary, it was actually made by YouTube Originals. Um, they edit out all the times he's talking about God. You can see it. He starts going, and you can see, as a Christian, I know he's going to talk about God right here. And then they jump cut. It's like, nice, nice YouTube. But his final lines in the final episode were, don't value things, places, and parties. Value, and they jump cut. But I know that he said Jesus and people. John's words are so true. The things of this world are so tempting, aren't they? And so often, we do run for those things and it's just empty. It never satisfies. We look and we want it, and it's just there's a craving for more that all, it's bottomless. It makes a craving for more. I just want more. I just want more. 
And it's not just Justin Bieber, it's everybody. You know, no, I mean, every movie star for sure. Nobody looks at like Taylor Swift or Billie Eilish or John Mayer and they're like, you know what, that John Mayer's really adjusted well. You know what I think? Like that Billie Eilish, it just seems like she's so happy. You know, I just think that that is, that's the, I want to be, you know, every partying 20-something, not even movie stars, but every partying 20-something, you know, you're raised in a Christian home, you go to college, you connect with a bad group of people, you do whatever, and it's like, dude, they're so unhappy every time. You don't need, you can be an atheist and you can see it. Midlife crisis, 50-somethings, you know, who trade in their wife for an upgrade and whatever else, or they think an upgrade, all this stuff. And look, there's no satisfaction in it because God made us for intimacy with him and with the people around us for real, meaningful love. Real satisfaction only comes from honoring God's plan for our life. Sin isn't sin because God wants us to miss out on fun. It's because he wants to bless us and he knows that sin leads to empty craving. Don't defect from God's way. The last group that John talks about are what's called imposters. And this is a big deal. This group of people is real. Um, this is probably the one that hits closest to home for me. These are people like progressive Christians who make up their own rules. John is actually talking about this group of people in the Bible called Gnostics. It's a form of mysticism. But ultimately, Gnosticism is very similar fundamentally as far as the, the fundamental lie they believe in is progressive Christianity today. And what, what, what they do, and they actually believe different things, but the fundamental lie is you can pick and choose what parts of God you want. Well, I like God's grace, but you know what? I don't like his plan for, you know, human life and sex and gender and whatever. So I'm going to like leave those out, but I'm going to just do these things and whatever. And John's really clear about this group of people, about the imposters. And I want you to see his words. And these are some of, I think, the most piercing words of the entire book. He says, dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. Lots of people, lots of pastors, life group leaders, talk show hosts, mayors from South Bend, they'll tweet about God all the time. They'll claim to speak for God. But John says many of them are imposters. You need to test them. And look, this goes for me too. It doesn't mean you need to be like suspicious. Everybody's, you know, a false prophet, whatever. But I think as Christians, we need to know God's word well enough to understand who's speaking truth and who's not. I think it's a big deal. I hope that we're people of God's word enough to not just take me for my word for it. Right? I hope we go to the final authority. Pastors come and go. I hope your faith isn't rooted in me. I hope it's rooted in Jesus Christ. Pastors come and go, but a church is for the generations. I gotta be honest, this was a really big deal for me, this verse right here. Two years ago, right before our church shut down for in-person services because of COVID, we did this series on the Enneagram. And it was called Finding You, and it was one of our most popular series of all time, still to this day is. And I spent months preparing for this particular message series. I was really kind of into it. And uh, I got into this Franciscan priest. His name was Richard Rohr, and I loved him. He wrote some books on it, and I was really moved by his stuff, by his words. He said things I'd never heard before in ways that I'd never heard people say them. And he started saying things that were a little bit out there, but it, his books were just so compelling. I recommended him to friends. I even recommended uh, some of the books that he wrote or one of the books that he wrote to our whole church. He moved me. He opened up my mind to some things and, you know, I started feeling guilty for believing some of the things that I believed because he was, you know, condemning them and whatever. And this guy is so compassionate and so moving. And I began really wondering, he was so smart. Then I heard him give this talk. We were shut down for COVID at this point and I was still, you know, reading this guy, listening to this guy. And in this conversation, he compared Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins as an atoning sacrifice. He compared that as an example of patriarchal slavery and great evil. And then he went on specifically to question whether Jesus was both God and man. And you know, the very first book of the Bible that I ever translated from Greek into English 
um, while I was taking biblical Greek in college was 1 John. And so I know the book really, really well. And as I was listening to that message, 1 John 4.1 came into my mind. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God, for there are many false prophets in the world. And I just remember in my mind thinking, hey, this is not, this is not right. And I know some of you are like, okay, okay, we get it, but how do we actually test? Like, I mean, how do you actually test? Like, it doesn't make sense. And this is what I love about John. John is so basic. He's so simple. He's so clear. He tells us exactly how to do it. He says, this is how we do it. This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body. Now, this is a big deal. There's a lot in this statement. Came in a real body means he came from somewhere, specifically meaning came from heaven to earth in a real body. He's saying, do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man? at the same time. That person has the Spirit of God. Then he goes on, but if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Now, the truth is actually a bigger deal here. The way that he's phrasing this, the tense of this particular thing, he's talking about saying more than just, I believe Jesus was fully God and fully man. He's saying, I believe everything that Jesus did is recorded in the Gospels. I embrace what John teaches, what Jesus teaches about heaven, hell, death, God, sex, gender, sin, hope, and purpose. That person is from God. And I remember knowing First John, I binged on God's word in my life and realizing, hey, Richard Rohr is not these things. This is exactly what he's talking about. And that's when I realized as a church, we need to start talking about progressive Christianity. I used to get really shook hearing about deconverting. You know, I thought it was a new problem. My friends would walk away from their faith. When I heard about famous Christian musicians, I'd be like, oh, oh my goodness. But when I read 1 John, I was comforted and challenged. I was comforted knowing that this is not a new problem, but I was challenged knowing that this is something I need to watch for. I need to grow in. Now, there's one last thing I need to address. And I know a lot of you guys who read 1 John this week were like, uh, Pastor, there's some harsh things. There's a word that he uses in there. And it comes right after this. He actually uses it in several different places, but I want to address it. And if I included it before, you guys would not have listened to me because you've been focused on this word. But he says, such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist. Ah, what? What? The Antichrist, which you have heard is coming to the world and indeed is already here. Now, there is a big difference between a spirit of Antichrist and the Antichrist. And he is talking right here about a spirit of Antichrist, which really just means anti-Christian. They're anti-Christian. They're anti-Jesus. There's lots of people who claim to be Christian who are actually hurtful to Christ's movement. And John says, you need to watch for that, right? Because when you start teaching a false version of what Jesus taught, that's not just, that's not just wrong. That's anti-Christian. That's wrong. And John actually, in his third book, third John, um, in his third letter, he calls out this dude by name. He says his name's Demosthenes, okay? And that's specifically who he's talking about. He says, this is bad. Paul will call people out by name sometimes as well. And I realized I need to do that as a church. That's why I do it. Richard Rohr, I realized, is not following the same God that I follow. I want to ask you, who do you follow? Have you examined them? Are they real or are they imposters? A nice tweet is not necessarily good theology. And a great book like, you know, Girl, Wash Your Face that uses the name of Jesus is not necessarily Christian. So binge on God's word. Follow his teachings. And don't forget to test the spirit of those who claim to be from God. In God's kingdom, John says, there are talkers, there are defectors, and there are imposters. But he continually tells us over and over again, this is what I love about the tone of 1 John, is that those who walk in the light will be saved. 
So what does all this boil down to? What does this boil down to? And I, I wrote down two takeaways. One for people who love the book of 1 John, like, and then, and then the second one is for all of us um, in this series. So two takeaways, one for 1 John and then one for the whole series. But the first one I want to challenge you to do, first takeaway I have is um, walk in the light. Walk in the light. I don't want to be a talker, a defector, or an imposter. I want us to walk in the light. And for just a second, at Hebron and at our Demont Field location, I need you guys to look on the side screens just for a moment. Because I think it's so easy for us to slip into the back of the church and just live in the darkness, isn't it? We just hang out in the darkness. When we're in the darkness, you can't really see us, right? I mean, we're just, we're chilling in the darkness and we can get away with a lot of stuff in the darkness. You know, I mean, we hang out here and we slip in the back and nobody ever really knows us. They don't know what's going on. And I can do all kinds of things. I come into church and I hang out in the darkness and, you know, people are like, yeah, we just slip in, slip out, do our own life. You know, we're not on any teams. We come kind of inconsistently. But when you walk into the light, all of a sudden, the way that we're living gets exposed, right? And this is like kryptonite for Baptists right here. They're like, what? You are holding the devil's juice in your hand. You know, I know people, Baptists will be like, I've broken all 10 commandments, pastor, but I've never sipped the devil's juice, okay? It's easy to live in the darkness, isn't it? And when we live, and this is how so many of us live the Christian life. And John says, this is fake Christianity. This is why people deconvert, because we just live this way. We're not really in relationship with anyone. We're not really open about our life. We just keep it closed down. The, Christianity doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you never sin again. It's me, it means you walk in the light. It means you confess your sins. You live a life where you're just honest about who you are. You're open about the issues and you're open to growth. I think about, I think about our lives in the church today and I'm gonna just set this very distracting beer in. I edited the Barbie because she was very anatomically correct. I was like, we gotta put some electrical tape there. Took care of the problem, all right? That's it, cover up. I was raised Baptist, guys. I mean, I'm just shocked. But listen, y'all, I want us to be a real church. I try so hard as a pastor to let you know I'm not perfect. Right? I wanna talk about our issues. I want us to be a place where we confess sin. Why do we come here? To act like we have it together or to grow? Right? You can't grow without being honest about who we really are. And for me, you know, I really was moved by that, that deal I watched in Justin Bieber's life this week. And, and I just keep thinking in my life, is there any part of my life that I'm keeping in the darkness? Is there any part of my life that I love more than I love Jesus? For me, the answer almost every day is yes. Like all the time. Idolatry slips into my life all the time. It's just so easy to lie to myself and lie to other people. It's so easy just to slide that under the carpet. It's so easy. And the whole thing of 1 John's, walk in the light. Be honest about it. Confess, repent, walk in the light. I love 1 John 1, 9. It says, but if we confess our sins to him, he'll get angry and yell at you and condemn you and say, you're terrible. No, just kidding. It says, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness, to heal us from the affection of sin. That's why the Bible is good news. Jesus isn't some religious elite who disdains you and hates you for the dirt in your life. He is a God who loves you, who takes you just as you are, but loves you too much to let you stay that way. That's a teaching of Jesus. His plan, his way, his will for our lives leads to the best life, the highest level of life satisfaction. And today, I want to call our church to walk in the light. This is not a place for perfect people. It's a place for people to walk in the light and glory of God's grace, to live in His mercy, and to grow. So today, I want us to examine our life, and I want us to come into the light. I want you to know there's a God who will lovingly heal you of the infection of sin. On the back of all your Connect cards, there are some boxes you can check. And if you want, you can just check a box that says, hey, I took some steps with Jesus today. 
And we'll call you this week. If you have some darkness in your life that you want to get rid of, you say, you know what, I've been hiding this for a long time. Like, please come into the light. I want this to be a church now where it's like, oh, that was a cool message. You just see how the camera, when he was in the, in the back there, you couldn't see what he was holding, but then he came into the light. He was holding the devil's juice in his hand and a naked Barbie. No, no, no. I, want, I don't want you to think about that. I want us to come into the light as a church, spiritually. That's what I want. The second thing I wrote down, and this is for all of us, um, Christian or non, uh, I think it'd be really cool if we would start binging on God's word together. You know, for so much of my life, I had these nagging questions about my faith. You know, I'd watch people struggle. I'd hear pastors teach things that seemed off. And a simple reading of 1 John answered some of those fundamental questions really clearly. I want to challenge you to binge your Bible. God's Word doesn't return void. It's living and active. It's transformative. Maybe just consider reading the New Testament this year. Specifically, I like the book of Acts through Jude. That's section four of your Bible, that after Jesus part, the book of Acts through the book of Jude. Awesome books, really, really good, really, really helpful. And as you read them, just ask yourself, God, how do you want me to live today because of what I just read? Just like we did for First John. Know the overarching story, use the Bible project like I talked about. And I know some of you are like, uh, Pastor, listen, I read First John this week and I did not get a quarter of what you talked about in that message. How could I ever? Listen, you don't need to, I've been binging on God's word for years, gone to school for this stuff. But I promise you, if you read 1 John this week and you ask yourself, how am I supposed to live because of this? You're probably blessed by it. And you know what? If it was your first time binging on the Bible or your first time in a long time, I bet you were really blessed by it. I want to challenge you to keep doing it, to keep leading your family and doing it. I want us to be a church that doesn't learn from pastor. I want us to be a church that goes to God's Word, feeds yourself, learns, and grows. I'm excited about our future together. I'm excited to walk in the light with you. As we close, please stand to your feet. Let's have a prayer at all of our locations. God in heaven, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for your grace, which is sufficient. Help us to be a people that walks in the light. Lord, help us not to be a fake church full of fake people. Help us to be a real church with a real, authentic, growing faith. God, I ask that we would be people who seek your truth in your word. God, I thank you for all the evidence that you give to us that you're real. And Lord, I ask that for the people of this church, you teach us sparingly through the mistakes of others so that we can be wise without scars. Help us to live your way. Thank you for your plan and your purpose. Today, we cling to it and we choose to live in it, walking in the light. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said amen. And amen. Let's sing this last song together.